Shumai a Kroisor. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcasts. I'm Stephen Hedges. This week, on Friday the 30th of September, it's National Sporting Heritage Day. Celebrating its eighth year, this National Day, founded by CIC Sporting Heritage, aims to raise awareness of the relevance and value of sporting heritage. One of the things the charity is encouraging us to do is to bring our sporting stories to the fore. This is something we always try to do on the podcast, but this week we want to bring you an extra special story of a cricketer who died over 120 years ago. Joseph Lovering was a painter from Neath and also played professional cricket in the era when paid professionals were crucial to the development of the game. His story has been highlighted by the discovery of his grave at St Caduc's Church in Caddickston near Neath. I visited the church to speak to Larry Phillips and Martin Griffiths, who are the finder of his grave and the researcher of his story, respectively. This is quite an unusual experience for me. I've recorded in many people's houses, in lots of cricket clubs, and even in uh, one or two cricket nets and, and on cricket fields. I've never recorded inside a church before. So um, I don't know if the two of you would like to introduce yourselves first, say who you are, and um, a little bit about your connection with this place. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm Larry Phillips. Um, I am one of the volunteers that helps maintain the churchyard at St. Catholic's Church. Um, I've been volunteering here for about six weeks, two months maybe, um, and have found some graves that we did not know were here. I'm Martin Griffiths. I've been a member of this church for over 40 years. And uh, over the past 15 years or so, uh, I've been writing monthly articles for the church magazine on histor- historical articles. Uh, and uh, thanks to Aleri, I've been able to uh, write up a little bit about the cricketer that we're interested in. OK, be- before we come on to talking about um, Joe Lovering. Have Joe I got Lovering, that right? yeah. OK, um, perhaps Martin, do you want to say a little bit about the church and its history to set that in context for us? Caddickson Church, Caddickson Juxta Neath, to give it its full title, is one of the oldest churches in the county. It, it goes back to the 6th century. Uh, St. Catug is uh, it's dedicated to, uh, and it's one of the largest parishes in the county, hence the graveyard here uh, is one of the largest. Originally, the parish went from the Brecon Beacons down to the Bristol Channel. So there are thousands of great people literally buried in Caddickson Churchyard. It's been expanded three times. Um, so it's only recently Annette, you, your auntie, has undertaken a, a project to record all the graves and, and who exactly is buried here because we had no record. Uh, so it's, it's uh, uh, a very ancient church. There's a lot of history here, as we, we found in the churches unlocked week. Uh, and um, a lot of people come here to, to listen to the history. Okay, Ilary, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got involved and how you discovered this particular grave of the gentleman we're going to talk about? Yeah, sure. Um, so for a while I've, I've had some trouble with my mental health and um, I've been taking some time off from my university studies uh, in order to focus on getting better. And part of that was... Um, 
moving back in with my family and then my mum I think just to get me out of the house said come on let's go to the churchyard you know your auntie is doing this graveyard clearance and um, trying to find the the old monuments I know that Martin was going to do a tour for the Church's Unlocked Festival um, and needed better access to some specific graves some notable graves uh, in the churchyard so I like being outside um, I really didn't have much else to do so I joined my, my mum, brought my secateurs, brought some gloves um, and just started coming every Monday and then more frequently once I, I got the itch really it's quite addictive to, to clear graves of all of their ivy and brambles and things just to um, find a name that you didn't know was going to be there. So how did you discover this particular grave of Joe Lovering? I found Joe Lovering's grave entirely by accident. I thought it was going to be a different grave. I thought uh, it was there was these two graves back to back. But then once you started clearing away all of the brambles, um, it, it clearly wasn't that. So underneath, I found this yellow bricked grave. The plot is marked out in yellow brick, um, and then there was a very small grey headstone that just said. Joseph Lovering, that was it. No dates, nothing else. Um, I could have picked any grave. There's two and a half thousand graves in the cemetery. Um, but I looked at my watch and I thought, I haven't got much time. This one looks doable in half an hour. And I just happened to find, um, yeah, Joe Lovering's grave. So I decided to give it a, a little Google, Joe Lovering, Caddickston, um, and found there was a story of this cricketer behind it. So what were the first things that you discovered then about... This person, uh, whose who's name you had? Well, I, I searched Joe Levering and I found um, a uh, a database entry for from Derbyshire Cricket Cricket Club or something, um, and it gave me this long list of um, cricket teams that he'd played for. Gave me, um, you know, a year of birth, if not the date. It gave me. Um, some information about, yeah, as I said, the, the teams he played for, but it also told me that he was a round-arm fast bowler, and I had no idea what that was. But I was just so fascinated by the fact that I could clear a grave and then, through a Google search, find out the bowling style of somebody who'd been dead 130 years. I thought that was bizarre. Um, so I sent this information to um, Annette Williams, the lay minister, um, who put it up on the um, St. Catherine's Church Facebook page and then Martin got in touch with me from there. Okay, so Martin, you you get to hear of Larry's discovery and the quite significant amount of information about this individual. What did you do then to kind of embellish and, and add to that story and try and build up a picture of this, this well, I, I, well, I'm uh, uh, on the committee of the Neath Antiquarian Society in Neath, which is uh, a historical society which is uh, 100 years old next year. Uh, and uh, I write articles for that society and I've given talks and so on. And so I'm well versed in researching his, history. And uh, uh, having done family history, uh, before I even took an interest in local history, I looked up Joseph Levering. I could see that he was actually baptised in this church of St. Catugues, 6th of August, 1837. Uh, and looking at his family a little bit further then, I found out that his father uh, died just four months after he was baptised. Joseph's brother 
Thomas that was two years older than him, and when he had been baptized uh, in in Neath, actually not not in Carrickston, when he had been baptized, his father was shown as a gardener, and when Joseph was baptized, his father was shown as farmer, and they were living then at Tinneriol. Now Tinneriol is part of Tonna, which is a, a village outside Neath. Uh, today, it's it's uh, the big house has gone. But in, in 1837, it would have been a, a, a mansion with a farm alongside it and an estate around it, quite separate from Tonna. Um, whether he was a gardener or a farmer, we don't know, because there's only those few months between the two. Uh, uh, sometimes people put down farmer, even though they were farm labourer, because it sounded better in the parish registers. Uh, but obviously... Uh, his father, dying when uh, the, the little boy was only four months old, left the family with problems. And they went then, uh, they moved in with, uh, it looks like an uncle, George Levering in Neath, and um, uh, the two older boys eventually became house painters. And Joseph followed them into the, the, that career of being house painter. Uh, so that's what I found out from parish registers and, and censuses. Uh, and then we find that uh, from the, the cricketing records that Joe Levering starts playing cricket. He's noticed in the, the 1860s, the early 1860s. And there's it's this story, uh, a lovely story, which is, is in the newspapers, that uh, J.D.T. Llewellyn of Pentlegair must have spotted him, spotted his talent, and he puts a sovereign down on the wicket and says, yep, you can have that as long as you can bowl me out. And first ball, Leverin sends down a corker, but boof, stumps go flying and he picks up the sovereign. So immediately he's taken under the wing of Llewellyn. Uh, and that couldn't be a bad thing because that, that clicked off his career, started his career. Uh, and, and went from there, really. Uh, there were many... Uh, uh, people who who kind of earned a living as as uh, at least partially as a professional mm. cricketer, but it couldn't have been an e- an easy uh, kind of living. Do you do you get are you able to get a sense of how he was able to combine playing his cricket and his his life as a as a house painter? Well, no, we don't, we don't get that. But uh, I mean, the fact that in eighteen seventy he was coaching at Eton seems to suggest that he was mixing the two. I mean, he'd have had to go to Eton and stay there for at least a term, if not several terms. So he wouldn't have been painting during that time. Uh, and obviously, uh, playing cricket as he was for for uh, Neath or Carrickston, as the same club was known, it, it varied its name, um, it had only been a summer occupation. So maybe he would have been painting in the winter and playing cricket in the summer. And this is perhaps why he didn't just play for for Neath or Carrickston, but he also played for other teams, in uh, any other team that would take him, basically. Um, he played for the Welsh Wanderers, for South Wales, for Glamorgan, uh, for... Monmouth and uh, District. Uh, yeah, Monmouth and District, Monmouthshire and District. Uh, he, he, and for Jesus College Oxford, which is a strange one. But it may link up with uh, uh, J.D.T. Llewellyn again, because he, he went to college in Oxford, though I don't think he went to Jesus College. But perhaps if they wanted him and they were willing to pay, um, he'd, he'd take whatever was available. It's quite interesting listening to the life of a professional cricketer in those times. 
today we have uh, players who do very similar things but on an international scale so yeah. they they'll sell themselves to a um, a short form of the game a t20 tournament in the west indies in australia mm-hmm. uh, in india uh, and then perhaps come to england to play in the new competition here mm-hmm. the 100 and he had married in 1861, so, uh, he, and he, he started a family of seven children, so he, he needed to keep working in order to uh, get the income. He had six daughters and a son, so you know, it is, <laughs> he had a lot to pay for. Larry, how much of this were you aware of, and when, or when Martin discovered it, how much kind of made you more interested? <laughs> I knew absolutely nothing, um, apart from him being a, a round-arm fast bowler. Um, I loved reading the article that you'd written. Um, it was so surprisingly, not emotional, but so interesting to really add layers to this person whose, whose grave I just potted around and tidied up. Um, and so I, I do say hello when I walk past his grave, when I come and do other graves. Um, I, I say hello and it's because I saw that photograph, or the engraving rather, that you'd found. Um, there's this engraving in the article um, of Joe and an, another man. The two cricketers. Yes, and they're called uh, Celebrated Welsh Cricketers. That's the description underneath. And Joe Levering is wearing this um, yellow cap and a sort of yellow trousers, his batting pads, um, this blue jersey, and he's got his arms crossed resting on uh, the handle of his cricket bat. And um, it's got this dark hair, and in your article it said he's five foot four and less than ten stone. So all of these things really put the image of him into my mind. And it's just nice to, to yeah, bear that in mind, keep it the thought of my mind, um, at the front of my mind when I'm working on other graves as well. These are real people, and it's nice to get their stories. There was a man called Lily White who wrote a book, uh, Scores of Cricketers and Biographies, in in 1878. And this is where a lot of the information about Mm -hmm. Joe Levering comes, his weight and uh, and height and so on, and what type of cricketer he was. It's a marvellous record, really, uh, because he said he's he's an average batsman, uh, a round arm, fast round arm bowler, and he fields at third man up, <laughs> which I presume is third man. Um, but uh, interesting description, he says he's been uh, 12 years engaged by uh, Neath Cricket Club, um, uh, so it gives you some idea of, of his, his uh, commitments. Um, but the the round arm bowling, I had to look that up, but it's it very interesting. Mm. Uh, from what I understand, uh, up until about 1830, underarm bowling was the style which was preferred. Mm-hmm. And then this round arm bowling came in, which was more or less bringing your arm round at 90 degrees from the body, uh, which is probably illegal today. It's... it's Similar not, to throwing. I fell down a YouTube uh, rabbit hole trying to find evidence of this round arm bowling style. And is it the Sri Lankan? Malinga. There? Malinga. Slinga Malinga apparently does quite an authentic round arm throw. Um, so I've, I've watched many videos uh, recently to, to get a gist of it. Yeah. It's interesting as well that mm. uh, his, his career seemed to have taken off in the 1860s. And in 1864... Overarm bowling became 
popular yeah. and, and that obviously it took over mm-hmm. uh, but he he continued with the round arm style and was extremely effective with it the most preeminent uh, cricketer and perhaps sportsman of the Victorian era was W.G. Grace yeah. and it's a name that every uh, person interested in cricket perhaps has heard and come across there is a connection between Joe Lovering and W.G. Yeah. Well, when, when uh, uh, Joe Lovering died at the age of 50 um, and his wife survived him until, I think it was 1939, uh, and when she died, there's a newspaper article which says that uh, uh, she's the widow of Joe Lovering who bowled WG twice for a duck. Now, I think this is one of those fishing stories that the fish gets larger every time you tell it because uh, I, I certainly couldn't find any record of 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 that that, that WG being bowled twice for a duck by Joe Lovering, what I did find was that um, he played against WG at the Knoll in September 1866, and he first ball he bowled to WG, he bowled him, but it was for four runs, uh, and he, what you got to remember is that WG was only 17 years old at the time, but nevertheless. He'd still made a name for himself by then because he'd scored a, a double century for the All England Cricket uh, eleven by then and he was the coming man in English cricket. Um, he did um, play against WG in the uh, locally famous match at the Knoll two years later where WG was bowled twice for a duck but Lovering wasn't the bowler. And he, uh, in 1869, he bowled um, WG's brother, Fred Grace, for a duck. Uh, and uh, a lot of people don't know who Fred Grace is, but he was, a, again, a very, very talented cricketer. Unfortunately, he died fairly young, but he played uh, alongside his two brothers in the first international match against Australia. So that was quite an accolade as well. There was a game that stru- uh, stuck out for me, uh, again, it was I think it was Nathan Caddickston against the South of England eleven in which Grace was playing. Eight, a May eighteen sixty eight. Yeah, that, that included in your article. That's the one where where he was bowled for a duck twice, but Lovering played against him, but he wasn't the man who who uh, bowled him out. I was really interested in some of the people who played alongside oh, yeah. uh, Joe Lovering in that game. Do you do you remember those? Are you able to tell us a little bit about them? I know there were there were quite a few people who were well known in in the local area. There was um, uh, Dilwyn Llewellyn, John J D T Llewellyn. He played um, Walter Whittington, or did William Whittington? One of the Whittingtons, anyway. Whose whose brother Tom Whittington was a famous uh, uh, rugby player. Uh, he was the first uh, Welsh. Uh, Welshman to get a cap, although he had a cap for playing for Scotland because he uh, he went to medical school in Scotland. But all the Whittingtons were, were good sportsmen. There was a Tal Whittington who was central yeah. to Glamorgan getting first class status in 1921. Uh, Would he have been? That's the same family, yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So the the, the uh, uh, one of some of Bancroft's uh, W. J. Bancroft, another famous rugby player in Wales. His uh, ancestors were playing in that match, playing for Neath. Um, I've got a quote about that, actually. Um, 
So, uh, did you look at the um, the report of the speech that uh, Sir John Dillwyn gave um, at the Christmas meal in 1867? Have you seen that one? Oh, it was excellent. Um, so, uh, Sir John did this long speech, um, you know, a, a toast, a, a celebration, just just talking about uh, the the club's achievements that year. Uh, this is Caddickston Cricket Club. And um, he reflected specifically on Joe's skill as a bowler and mentioned Bancroft also, um, saying, you know, it's a very pleasant thing to look back on past games. I keep my book of scores and I often find myself ruminating over the matches gone by. How Levering bowled this one, how Bancroft caught that and how others ran and scored. And I just loved finding that that reference to, to Joe. Um, Calling him Joe like we're friends, but Mr. Lovering, uh, finding that uh, reference in, in an old newspaper was a lovely surprise. Is it fair to say, Larry, that you've, um, I don't know, you, you referred to him in, in your email to me as my cricketer? Yes. So you feel <laughs> quite an association with him? I do. Now? I think cricket was one of the only sports at school to which I could understand the rules. So I'm quite pleased that he's a cricketer rather than a footballer um, or a tennis player. Um, I, I've spent a lot of time in that churchyard and I found um, different graves of potato corn and hay merchants and um, flight sergeants that were killed just a week after the war in training accidents and things. Um, but thanks to Martin's work looking at these historical records, it's Joe's story that I know the best. Um, and it's a lovely thing that just adds information, adds detail to your mind map of the graveyard. You know, it's always a live place anyway with the amount of nature that's there. It's the nature that's taking over a lot of the graves, which is why I'm there in the first place. Um, but to layer in these human stories as well um, just adds even more to the place for me. Well, there's, there's one story which we've, we've missed out, really, and that's his match against the Marylebone Cricket Club up in Lords. Uh, I, I mean, this is, this is 19, 1869. I keep going to 1969. This is 1869. He goes up to Lords for the first time, and he, he, he uh, for, for playing for South Wales, and he, 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 he bowls out... 15 players, seven in the first innings, eight in the second innings, and 14 of those are clean bowled, which is a phenomenal feat. I don't know, I don't know if that's a record, uh, but it, it, that is the best performance of his career as far as the, the records that we have go. Hmm. Well, it may be worth uh, putting that to some of the cricket statisticians that are around <laughs> Indeed. these days to see, um, to see if it stands up. Yeah. Um, Certainly is a kind of a phenomenal performance, yeah. um, and it shows what a tenacious man he must have been. Did you get a sense reading all the reports of of what sort of a character he was? Could were you able to kind of? No, that's difficult. Uh, I mean, at five foot four and nine stone ten, uh, I think he was. He was uh, should have been a jockey. I mean, <laughs> you were fast bowlers a day, six foot eight. Um, so he, he, I imagine he was quite a character. There's, a, there's a, a, another incident that he got involved in in 1867 
where he's on a, I think they were practicing up the knoll and uh, there's a one of the the Carlton cricket team George Mays uh, he's uh, he's having a little bat there and uh, these men come on the field and start whacking him about with the stumps and with the with a sword stick um, and uh, it ends up in court um, Lovering is called as a witness he, he doesn't give a lot of evidence but he's involved in that and um, he, the, 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 the man uh, Gwyn Lewis is, who's an arbor master in Britain Ferry is charged with attempted murder initially uh, as an alternative maiming with intent to cause grievous bodily harm it's reduced uh, in the assize later on to um, a misdemeanor uh, so he, he more or less gets off it but he has to pay £1,600 in costs. And as, as somebody commented, uh, that's a heck of a lot uh, to pay for walloping a fellow. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it, uh, they were and the reason that he assaulted George Mays was that George Mays had sent a letter to a newspaper saying that he'd been down on the sands in Britain Ferry watching a review of troops down there. And he spotted this chap, Lewis, with binoculars uh, spying on the ladies in their their bathing um, uh, machines, so that wasn't the done thing. So he took offence to that. So Joel Levering, I think he was a reluctant witness. That's what it sounded like. But uh, that was more the unsavoury uh, side of cricket, I think. <laughs> Martin, you clearly get a lot from the proce- the process of of researching and finding out about names of in- individuals and and, and kind of fle- fleshing them out a little bit. What is it that intrigues you in the in the in the process of finding well, the story? I, I uh, something will grab my interest, and um, you get involved in it. Then, as Larry is saying, uh, I, I, one of the talks that I've given for the last fifteen years or so is uh, about uh, it's called a night in the graveyard, and it's about all the different graves that that we've we've found here and the stories behind them. Like the, the the man who started the Mumbles Railway is buried in Carlton Churchyard. We didn't know that until we started uh, uh, uncovering these graves and, and re- recording them. There was a man who was uh, really the cause of the Rebecca riots is buried here. Uh, and it's fascinating. You, you find these. Nobody else knows about them. It's not in any history books. And you dig and dig and dig, and you can create the story then, and it's it's now in the history book. So you, in a way, you are creating the historical record, and it's a it you do take responsibility for that grave, don't you? Yes, yeah. So he's he's on my list. I cleared his grave recently, last week actually. Um, he's on my my list of people that I I keep an eye on. You know, I've got yeah. some family graves, but then I go and see. Uh, Joe's grave to give it a tidy up, make sure that uh, the the brambles are cut back. I think the most spectacular thing about Joe's particular grave is that you didn't have any dates to go by, just the name Joseph Levering. Most of the others have got dates and other relatives on there, but there's only Joe Levering there mm-hmm. and nothing else. So it is, it is excellently picked up by you. It is the most humble grave that I've found mm. in the churchyard. There's not really any like it. I was going to ask, is that an unusual thing, to just have a name and nothing else? The, the, somebody asked me the other day, you know, uh, were they rich people who, who had these tombstones? And some of the graves, obviously, they, they, uh, 
very expensive graves, so you, you've got moneyed people being buried here, but you, the, the poorest people of all didn't, couldn't even afford a headstone. Uh, you, you go up a step then and you've got a headstone, but you've hardly got anything on it. And this is one of those. I don't think they had much money. Um, and he, it, it, it's strange that he's the only lovering buried in that grave, or seems yes. to be anyway. You mentioned that um, he had children. Yes. Um, is there any sense or are you aware that there are descendants of Joe Lovering? There are, there are Loverings in, in Neath, but we haven't chased that up yet. Uh, he had, obviously, he only had one son, so there's only the one uh, descendant with the Lovering name. Uh, six daughters take a bit more time because they marry and they, they change their name and so on. Mm. Yeah. Um, come to you first, Senator Larry. You've said quite a lot already about the impact that all of this has had on you. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds like it's really fired your imagination uh, 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 and perhaps helped you understand the history of this place a, a little more. Would that yeah. be fair? It's been wonderful. Um, we're all history nerds in my family. Um, my sister is an archivist uh, herself um, in Ebu Vale. Uh, it's, it's really been helpful to get my sense of enthusiasm back um, after a time of not having much. Um, it would be too much to say that, you know, finding this grave and the other graves have sort of, you know, saved my life. That was my family, that was my N- that was the NHS. Um, but it's given me a lot of joy. Um, and that's a wonderful thing. And Martin, for you, this is obviously one in many stories that you're, uh, you want to tell about this place. But nice that Joe fits, uh, perhaps a, it's, a, it's a different story, partially a sporting story, and a story about how the people from humble beginnings used sport to, to kind of make a, a little bit of a name for themselves outside the town that they were born well, in. Well, it's, it's very rare that I, I talk about or, or have written about uh, sportsmen. Um, uh, the Whittingtons were one group that I, I, I spoke about. And uh, this is another, but I I can't remember anybody else. And what gives me immense pleasure is the ability to uh, tell these stories to other people uh, and see them respond to it. And having somebody like Hilary dig dig, uh, the first roots, if you like, and and, uh, me be able to pick up on it, I think that's marvellous. It's a a, a good partnership. Long may it continue. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) And hopefully, perhaps, there may be more to add to the Joe Lovering story as, well, I hope so, as yes. time goes on. Yes, you, you, his, history is never complete. Uh, you, you just keep digging. At, uh, uh, an article I wrote for um, our the Neath Antiquarians website uh, six months ago, I've had to stop the um, editor from publishing it because I found out more information. And, it, you know, you keep on researching. Don't stop researching because you've, you've written an article. You keep on looking at it. So if we find any more cricketers in, in Carrickson, we'll certainly get in touch with you, Stephen. Indeed. And uh, Andrew Hignell at the museum yes. would be delighted to hear from you as well. Yes. Lovely. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Well, thank you both. It's been lovely. Many thanks to Ilary and Martin for bringing us the story of Joseph Lovering, 
and turning what had simply been perhaps a name in a book or a newspaper into a living, breathing man. Let's hope this is not the end of that story and we promise to bring you any updates that we receive about it. We'd also like to place on record our thanks to Larry's aunt, Annette, who is the church warden at St Cadu's. Thank you to her for giving us access to the church and for all the work that she and the other volunteers do, especially uh, in this case, the Grave Restoration Scheme. For those of you wanting more information about Sporting Heritage, you can head to their website, www.sportingheritage.org.uk. You can find them on Twitter, at Sporting History, and on Facebook, at Sporting Heritage. And I also believe now they have an Instagram page as well. Do have a look for them on there. Ellery was very keen for listeners to hear a little bit of her story to confront her own mental health difficulties. Remember, if you or anyone you know is experiencing mental health problems, there is a dedicated mental health helpline for Wales, which you can access free on 0800 132 737 or on text 81066. And this service is available 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Remember, you don't have to suffer alone. Next time on the podcast, we'll have interviews with the officers and president of the South Wales Junior Cricket League as it celebrates its 50th anniversary. No doubt they'll be telling us some more stories about the great game of cricket from the great country of Wales. Hoi Val. Bye for now. Gyda chi stori yw'r hanni gyda ni. Mae croeswch yn gysylltu e-bosiwch mwcpod1921 at gmail.com neu ewch i'n tudalu'n Facebook Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast neu i'n tudalu'n Twitter at Welsh Cricket Pod. Do you have a story you'd like to share with us? If so, please contact email mwcpod1921 at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page, Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast, or our Twitter, at Welsh Cricket Pod.